The story of Jonah. How God's love draws us closer to him. Creating space for forgiveness and grace as he pursues us with his relentless love. <laughs> Shout out and a welcome to those of you who are joining us from our campus in San Jose and for all of you who are joining us online through a variety of um, platforms. As a matter of fact, somebody's probably watching me right now, uh, uh, washing dishes and watching me on your little laptop or you might be watching me on the phone and you're, you're in a beauty shop. Wherever you're watching us from, God be praised. I am delighted. It's a God-appointed moment for you to hear this message. We're delighted to continue to move through this fascinating book called Jonah around the theme of God's relentless love. Lord, we ask that you'd pour your spirit out and do a great work through this teaching in the lives of all who are listening, including the one who's speaking. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. All right, come on. Can somebody shout in San Jose? Respond. Go ahead, shout. Respond. Go ahead, type it in the chat. If you're watching on Facebook, the word respond. That's our context for today. Let's pick up our reading at verse 12, chapter 1. We're going to read a little bit of chapter 1, and then we're going to work our way through chapter 2, which is really our focus today as we continue to move through this amazing book called Jonah. Verse 12, Jonah is actually speaking. Listen to the word of the Lord to all of us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And then chapter 2 opens with these words. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Verse 7, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. And then verse 10 is how the chapter ends. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And there ends our reading. Praise be to God. If you were with us last week, and if you were not, if you've missed the last three uh, installments on this series, I want to encourage you to go to our website at nbccbarrier.com. And pick up those uh, three teachings. I promise you, it will be worth your while. And if you were with us last week, you know that uh, we found Jonah on a boat headed towards Tasha in the midst of a great storm. And the sailors were trying to figure out what what to do about this storm because the ship was threatening to come apart. And they had a revelation that the storm had something to do with Jonah. And so they they, uh, surrounded Jonah and Jonah welcomed their examination. Can somebody shout examination? Yeah, go ahead and type that in the chat, examination. And we talked just last week about the importance when we're in a storm of applying thoughtful examination to our lives. As a matter of fact, uh, the sailors were really responding to the question that they started off asking, why has this awful storm come into our lives? 
And when you wake up in one of life's crisis, challenge, and storm, it's appropriate for you and I to ask that question. And I have said every week that uh, these storms come out of different places. Sometimes it comes simply out of the brokenness of life. Uh, like sickness and disease, God doesn't send it. You didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It just comes out of the brokenness, brokenness of life. And sometimes it comes from the broken people in our lives, and sometimes it comes from the bad decisions that we make. So can somebody shout examination? Yes, an examination is in order when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. And I told you that the questions that they laid before Jonah uh, in chapter 1, beginning around verse 8 and 9, really model for us the three areas of, li- of our lives that we ought to be examining when we're going through certain crises and certain challenges, particularly those that we just keep landing in. And the first area we should be asking questions about is whether or not our lives are in alignment with God's purpose for our lives. You know, those three basic questions. Am I where God wants me to be? Is this the job God wants me to be in? Is this the relationship God wants me to be in? Or am I doing what God wants me to do? Uh, am I focused on the dimension of life that God is calling me to be focused on? Perhaps I'm trying to accelerate my career when I really should be trying to stabilize my family. Am I focused on what God wants me to be focused on? And thirdly, is my life headed in a God-ordained direction, or am I moving in the opposite direction? Jonah knew that the answer to all three of those questions for him was no. And then, of course, we suggested that another area that we should look at is history. Can somebody shout history? Come on, type that in the chat, history. Is there a pattern in terms of how I think and the decisions that I make that keeps landing me into some tough places? And then finally, look at family. Is some, are, are some of the decisions that I'm making, is it either subconsciously or maybe even consciously, my interacting with some of the pain that comes out of my family? Or am I not being a good steward of the kind of support that my family is pouring into my life? Or has it, has, does it have something to do with, um, with this notion of being an enabler or being enabled? You know, on the one hand, um, uh, if you are underwriting the bad decisions of people you love with your resources, that's called enabling them. Are you enabling or am I being enabled? Tough questions, but appropriate in terms of an examination when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. And then I send everybody home with this basic question that I said that you all should ask. And if you're again, if you're joining us for the very first time, then I just want to present you with this question. If you get nothing else out of this message, I want to encourage you to to do this homework assignment. The question of the assignment was go find three people who know you very, very, very well and then ask this question. What is one thing I don't know about me that will help me to become a better version of myself? One thing that I don't know that will help me become a better version of myself. You know, I preached a similar message uh, that I preached last weekend, taught it about 10 years ago. As a matter of fact, a young lady after the message was over uh, shared with me. She said, Pastor, you know, you've really, you, you, you really have caused havoc in my life. <laughs> As I inquired, how and why? What, 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 what is, could she mean? She went on to say that essentially as she went and talked to three different people asking this question, there's one thing, not five or ten, but one thing that I can do to kind of move to the next level. She said her bubble was burst. 
And she, she was living in denial. She didn't even know it. She thought that life was wonderful. She said she asked her first friend, you know, is there one thing that you can tell me that I can do to move to the next level? And the friend says, uh-uh, no, no, no. And she says, why not? And the friend says, because I want to be your friend tomorrow and next week. So no, no, no. <laughs> and she said she went to her second friend. And she asked the second friend, can you just tell me one thing? And the friend said, if I might uh, just borrow a little bit from uh, a few good men, you know, that wonderful line. Uh, essentially, the friend says, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. By the time she got to the third friend, she had already begun to sense Maybe the first thing she needed to write down in the notes about learning about herself was that clearly there was a pattern in her life that indicated to people that she was not good at receiving critical feedback. And in some way that she reacted in some very negative way. So she went to the third person and she says, look, I get this about myself. I want to grow. Talk to me. On the same weekend, I had another guy that was leaving uh, the worship gathering and uh, I was shaking hands at the back and he came up to me and he said, hey, Pastor, he said, man, that was a fabulous message for you. Just outstanding. I said, thank you. He said, but I'm not doing that assignment. I gave him the same assignment I'm giving you. <laughs> so the thing about what, why would he say I'm not doing the assignment? That's how some of you were last weekend, right? Uh, if you've heard this message, uh, last week's message, you said, wow, this is a wonderful message. Great, great, great. But I, it's possible that you closed down your laptop and said, but I'm not doing that assignment. Why would, why would one decide that I'm not going to go and ask three of my closest uh, maybe somebody on my job, somebody in my family, sometime in my relationships, uh, friendship circles, uh, tell me one thing that I can do that's going to help me to become a better version of myself. Why wouldn't I want to ask that question? Well, I can think of three reasons why the guy said to me he wasn't going to do it. And maybe they resonate with you. One, perhaps, was that he already knew the answers. He already knew what he was supposed to be working on, should have been working on, didn't want to be told that, didn't want to be reinforced. A second, perhaps, was that he did not want to know what he did not know. That he preferred to live like uh, the lady that I told you about a few moments ago. He wanted to live in this kind of artificial bubble that suggests to him that life is fine. Everybody's okay with him. He's okay with everybody. He didn't want that bubble to be busted. He wants to live in denial. Just felt safer to him. Could that be you? Well, the third reason, potentially, is the guy just simply concluded... I know what they are, and I don't want to be told because I then will have to try to confront it, and I've tried to do it again and again in the past, and all I got is failure, and I don't want to have to deal with failure again. I just don't want to have anything else to do with failure again. Maybe that's it. Well, if that's your case, I just simply want to say to you, uh, that whenever God sparks a moment like this through a teaching moment and confronts you with an opportunity to grow, it's a God-orchestrated time. And you need to trust that God is at work. And while you may not conquer the whole battle, it means that God is saying you can make some incremental progress. And here's something I want to make sure that you understand. It's simply this. Listen, never have more faith in the finality of failure than you do in the faithfulness of an all-powerful God. And also remember this, that there is no failure in God, simply opportunities to grow. I like what the psalmist says in Psalms 37, 34. He talks about the faithful and he says, he says, though they stumble, they shall not fall because God upholds them with 
his hand. There's no failure in your relationship with a God who loves you unrelentlessly. Only opportunities to grow. Now listen, if you tweet, you ought to tweet that. That's tweetable. <laughs> it's also true. So if, on the other hand, you actually went out and did the assignment that I suggested, it means then that you have already begun to experience what I want to call an attitude adjustment. Can you shout in San Jose, attitude adjustment? If you're watching this all over the place, just shout attitude adjustment. Yes, an attitude adjustment. And this is what I mean. Over the course of the last uh, several messages, I've kept, I've continued to return to the point and ask the question, are you reachable? Jonah actually thought he was, he had somehow gotten beyond God's reach, and yet God was still trying to reach him. And one of the ways that we determine and discover whether or not we are reachable is in how we respond to God reaching out to us, even if it's through a storm. And that response usually refers, requires an attitude adjustment. Notice the attitude adjustment that Jonah models here in verse 12. I'm just revisiting it. We talked about this a little bit last week. I'm just going to revisit for a few more moments. I want to just lean in a little bit here. Uh, notice his attitude adjustment. Notice he says to the, people, to the sailors, they're trying to figure out what should they do. Jonah says, pick me up. Throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. See, they were asking, we see there's a connection between you and the sea, and he had already explained to them how he was running from God and so forth and so on. So how should we handle this? He says, well, look, just go ahead and throw me into the sea. That's going to solve the issue. The sea's going to become calm. And he goes on to say, I know that it is my fault that this great storm, listen to this, has come upon you. Come upon you. Now, there are three things that reflect that we've made an appropriate attitude adjustment, particularly as we're talking to people and they're kind of laying out things for us to begin to work on, right, as we try to move to the next level of our lives. Uh, There's three insights. I talked a little bit about this last week. Just want to share it again. Just, just want to hit it again. The first is that uh, in order for us, if, I, if I'm reachable, being reachable requires me to regularly to have a discipline of affirming that my choices and actions affect others. You see, when Jonah jumped on that boat, he really didn't, it, you know, he knew that potentially by being disobedient, more than 100,000 people in, in uh, Nineveh could potentially be destroyed. He was actually hoping for that. But what he never considered was that by running from God, stepping on that boat, that, that his coming onto the boat would in fact put the lives of the passengers and sailors at risk. He never considered that his actions actually would impact in a negative way those sailors and the passengers. And it was a real aha moment for Jonah when after the examination, it became clear not just to the sailors but to him that he was putting their lives at risk. That's an important realization for us as we think about working through some of the challenges in our lives, whether it may be workaholism, it may be uh, that our insecurity and anxieties may be out of control, threatening some of the relationships that are in our lives. It may be some kind of addiction that has consumed us. Maybe any number of things. One of the things to continue to remember is that our choices, our decisions, they impact other people. Impact other people. You know, I... I um, Often have heard it says, stay out of my beeswax. Well, here's the problem. 
I'd be happy to stay out of your beeswax. The problem is that the bees that circulate and come around out of your beeswax, they tend to come over and sting me. <laughs> We're all connected here. You know, if we've learned anything as we struggle through COVID, it's just really this. Individual decisions have a collective impact. You know, we cannot decide on a strategy to fight COVID. You know, mass, no mask, get vaccinated, no vaccinated, turning, fighting each other. What's the result? The result is we're stuck in this seemingly eternal, non-ending place of infection and reinfection, infection and reinfection. Like King said it this way. All life is inextricably bound together, tied together in a single garment of destiny. What affects one person directly affects all of us indirectly. We got to see the connection. Secondly, the attitude uh, that suggests that our attitude has shifted and that, that, that we are now ready to respond to God uh, is, is, in, is the second thing is that we have to assume responsibility for our own decisions. Jonah simply says, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault that the storm has come upon you. It's my fault. When's the last time you've heard yourself say, it's my fault? Oh, it's my bad. Oh, that was on me. Was it yesterday, last week? Was it three weeks ago? If you can't remember the last time that you actually said, it's my fault, then perhaps this message is a wake-up call for you to check your attitude, right? Because you're imperfect. And if you're imperfect, it means that there's something that you've gotten wrong in the last 24 hours, two days, three days. And if you haven't been able to say, it's my fault, maybe you're like the lady I talked about living in this kind of make-believe world. And it's standing in the way of your growth. And then thirdly, being reachable requires that we regularly acknowledge and work through the consequences of our decisions. Now, that's what lands us in verse 17, Jonah chapter 1. Consequences. Notice what it says. So ultimately, they have to throw Jonah overboard. And then the text says this. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days. Somebody shout three days and three nights. Go ahead, shout three nights. Type that in the chat. Three days, three nights. Last week I talked about the, uh, the great fish, all that. I don't want to talk about this, this, this weekend. I want to talk about the three days and three nights. You know, in the Jewish tradition, three days and three nights really meant, uh, and you're going to find this actually in the book of Jonah at least twice. One, three days and three nights, Jonah's in the, in the, in the belly of this, this huge fish. Later on when he's trying to describe the breadth of the city of Nineveh, it's going to say it's, going to, it's, it's a, it's a three-day journey to make your way across the city of Nineveh. In the Jewish tradition, this notion of three days and three nights represented a completed process, a completed journey, rather. Yeah, yeah, the start and the end of a completed journey, usually spiritually and emotionally, but also emphatically as well. You know, Jesus, for example, was in the tomb with three days, three nights. So... Another way of talking or thinking about this completed journey is simply by using the word process. Can you say process? Yes. Process. Type that in the chat. Process. And when Jonah is thrown over and the fish, the consequences, the circumstances swallow him up, he suddenly suddenly enters into what I want to call, he enters God's process. And he thought that, that that 
the, the, the incident was the end of Jonah, but actually God intended for it to be the beginning of the next version of Jonah. And so often in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, we have to get to a point, come on now, where we're thrown into what I want to call a God process that feels like the end of life, but in fact, if we recognize it's a God process, we'll realize it's the beginning of a new dimension of life. If you and I are willing to do the work, can you just sit and shout, do the work? Yes, do the work, do the work. Here's what I mean. Working through the consequences involves committing to God's process. Now, I said acknowledge and work through the consequences. I didn't say acknowledge and wallow through the consequences. To wallow simply is to beat yourself up and just to continue to remind yourself of how horrible whatever it was that you did or didn't do and fill your life with shame and you just can't move. You become immobilized and you talk horrible. That's, that's, that's wallow. That's not helpful at all. To work is to begin to assume responsibilities, is to say, that means that I accept whatever consequences come, and now let me begin to work through these consequences. And the first thing that we have to do if we're going to work through consequences in a way that, that it becomes really God's process working on our lives is, number one, we've got to adjust our expectations. Here's the deal. Things tend to get worse before they get better when we're working through a God process to move to the next level of our lives, particularly when we're trying to deal with storms that we just keep ending up in. But they will get better. And they will get better because if you stay with the process, you will get better. Look at how we see this in, in, in Jonah. First, we get the summary statement from Jonah. It is as though Jonah has exited the experience, and he's looking back on the experience. He's reporting on it, and he goes, he, he, the, 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 the chapter goes back and forth between his reflecting on the experience and then actually his actually reliving the experience, and then his reflecting and then his reliving the experience. As you read the text, it goes from a third person to a first person dialogue. Watch how, we, how the text unfolds. And, 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 and so look how it starts off. Here's a summary. Then the narrative begins by saying, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the circumstance, inside the consequences, inside of that place that he thought was going to be the end of him, the fish. And he said, quote, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. I thought it was all over. I thought it felt like I was in a graveyard. Sure, oh, I was in the place of the dead. And Lord, you heard me, Jonah declared. And then he goes on to describe. You threw me into the ocean depths. You, you, in other words, you entered me into this process. And watch this situation as it goes from bad to worse. Uh, denoted by the word sink and bury and sink and bury. Watch how it goes. And I sink down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. And then verse 3, I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then verse 5, I sink beneath. See, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. I'm going deeper. I'm going deeper beneath the waves. And the waters closed over me. And then verse 6, eight, I sink down to the very roots of the mountains where I found myself actually imprisoned in the earth. And there, and there, there were no, no the, the, the gates were locked shut. And it felt like forever. 
ever. Bad, worse, bad, worse, trapped in bad. That's how it felt to him. Wow. And yet, if you're working God's process, it will get better because you will get better. For example, let's say you woke up yesterday and you looked at your, your finances. You get several thousand dollars on a credit card. You're, 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 you're missing payments over here and over there. You can't really pay your rent. And so like a wise person, you go find a, 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 a financial coach, a budget coach, and, 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 and the person says, well, let me look at all your expenditures. And they look at all your expenditures over the course of a month. And, and, and they look at how many times you go to McDonald's, how many times you go to Starbucks, how many times you're buying from Apple, how many times you're buying from Amazon. They look at all of this, and they add up all your money. They say, you got plenty of money to actually live on, actually put some money in savings. It's the undisciplinedness, so we're going to create a budget. And, 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 and they structure out a budget for you. And they don't say you can't go to McDonald's, you can't go to Starbucks. They just say you can't go to the movie. They just say you can, you can only go to McDonald's maybe once a week, Starbucks maybe twice a month, uh, Amazon. You can only spend this amount of money and, and, and they reframe the budget. And, 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 and as you live into that budget, it feels like things are going from bad to worse because now the first month of living into the budget, you feel like all you're getting is, no, I can't do that. 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 And the tension rises. And if you're inside of a family, the tension rises in the family. And, and, and there's more arguments. There's more frustration. There's all of that kind of stuff. You feel like it's just really fun. And watch this. You're often spending money to cover up for not dealing with some of the feelings, but now you can't spend that money. Now you got to deal with your emotions and it just feels like, come on now, like, the, like he says, man, I'm in prison in the earth and the gates are shut locked forever. I'm stuck here. But if you stay with the process, somebody shall stay with the process. You stay with the process. Three or four months, it gets a little better. Six months, it gets a little better. A year later, it's much better as your finances begin to heal and begin to build the savings. You begin to develop new spending habits and you find other ways that are healthy to deal with those emotions. It gets better because you get better. Wow. So number one, we've got to adjust our expectations. We've got to work through this over the long haul. Number two, we've got to pray for help. When I say pray for help, don't, um, you're not praying for an escape. You're not praying for an excuse so that somebody can feel sorry for you. You're saying, God, sustain me as I go through this. Give me the strength that I need to make it through this challenge. Sustain me. Now, I remember as a kid, a little kid uh, growing up, uh, I lived in the house and I didn't have my own bedroom. I, I slept on a cot and there was a little divider there. My mom slept on the other side. And, and I remember... Uh, you know, I, sometimes I'd get afraid and I'd cry out, Mommy, Mommy. And, and she didn't do me like I did my kids. When my kids were little, they got afraid. They just came into my room and climbed up in the bed and pushed me off on the side. <laughs> my granddaughter didn't go for that. I, I, I said, I'm afraid. She said, oh, boy, just going to go to sleep. <laughs> I said, no. I said, but, but I'm a fish. She said, boy, don't make me. You go to sleep. And I find myself whimpering under the covers. She said, what is that I hear over there? Do I need to come over there and give you something really to cry about? Go to sleep. And she forced me to stay with the process. And before it was long, I learned how to sleep through the night. Because she would ultimately say, boy, don't you know I'm here? 
And that's what God is saying to some of us. As we want to escape. We want to get out as, we, as we're dealing with our issues revealed by the storm. But God is saying, no, don't escape. Don't get out. Stay with the process. I'm here with you. You can make it. You can make it. Notice how Jonah uses prayer. Verse 7, he says this. As my life was slipping away, since I was just about to give up. I remember the Lord, his unrelenting love. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. God, sustain me. Give me what I need to go through this thing. And while we do this, it's helpful to have what I want to call a focus on a visual faith anchor. You notice this notion of holy temple appears, appears in, the, in, the, in the teaching in, the, in this passage twice. Uh, the first place we see it in verse 4, and in both places, it's just as Jonah's about to give up is when we see it. Watch this. Uh, verse 4 says, Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. I've, I'm isolated in darkness. I feel the coldness. I feel abandoned. I don't know how long I can hang in here. And then it says, Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. And then in verse 7, again, I just read it a few moments ago. As my life was slipping away, this notion of his soul, his heart, his life was slipping away. I'm almost to let go of hope. I'm almost to let go. But then I remember the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. And here's the notion that we find in the text, I believe, that's wrapped up in what I call this, 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 this visual anchor, this faith visual anchor. I believe that what Jonah actually did was that as he was, he was in this place of misery and entrapment that he, 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 he could, he imagined in his mind that the day would come when he'd be able to walk back into the holy temple that he would imagine, which is back in north and back in Israel. Yeah, he, he, he imagined the time that, that the, the God that he worshiped, he could imagine him there. Uh, in the holy temple and his prayers reaching him and that one day he would reach him and it was that visual of the holy temple that helped him to hold on. What is your kind of anchor of faith? I had a really good friend of mine named Eric Willis. I got to see him for the first time in 40 years. We went uh, to this family reunion, I mean uh, reunion of my high school class just a few weeks ago and I couldn't help but recall we were high schoolers and teenagers. We were trying to move a portable wall and it tripped it over, tipped over and landed on Eric's leg, crashed, crushed his leg. Eric was in a full body cast for many months. Ironically, as he was recuperating, it was during the day, I think, of Michael Jackson off the wall album came and Michael Jackson was this dancing phenom and Eric had a full body cast from here all the way down, but he was watching and he began to do something to move and he began to imagine himself that the day would come when he would get to the dance floor, come on, at one of our high school parties. And, 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 and he, just, he just kept working, kept working, kept working. And, and, and he went from one level of cast to the next level of cast to the lighter level of cast to one day, no cast. And when Eric showed up at the high school dance, come on now, everybody backed off the floor. We thought Michael Jackson Junior had showed up. It was bad. He had a visual. He could see it. He kept moving towards that. I often tell people who are going through a really difficult time, mark a date on the calendar and say, God, just get me to this date. For some people, their visual, their visual anchor is 
uh, is really a scripture. It's, it's, it's the word of the Lord. Uh, for some it is, uh, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask, think, or imagine. And they keep coming back to that point, more than I can imagine, more than I can imagine. And they hold on to that. I had a very good friend, uh, my good friend, the pastor Ozzy Edwards, the late Ozzy Edwards, a dear friend of mine. And as he was slipping towards death, uh, the scripture that he held on to was really that Isaiah 41.10 text. And he would just quote it again and again. And he realized he was slipping. Even within minutes before he died, he had his son who was rubbing his, his, his legs. Uh, his son rubbing his leg. And, and, and he was quoting the text. It, 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 it was his anchor. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, the Lord declared. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my strong right hand. That was his faith anchor. What is yours? And then finally, bank on God's relentless love. <laughs> what, 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 what Jonah ultimately teaches in the text is he says, at the end of the day, I still had confidence. If God was going to allow the wicked city of Nineveh one more chance, I knew that his love would not let me go. Even in this, in this belly of this great horrendous circumstance, I, 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 I somehow knew that, that God's redemptive power would find its way to me. I, 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 I put all my chips, if you would, if I might use that language, on the relentless love of God. Yes. Notice what he says. He says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on the true God and the mercies that he has he says, but I, 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 I will offer sacrifices to you, songs and sounds of praise, and I will fulfill my vow. I'm declaring that even before, even before I see my exit, y'all. Come on now, because I'm putting all of my chips, all of my money, all everything I've got on the fact that your, your love is, is unrelenting for my salvation. Shout salvation. That word means my deliverance. Actually, it translates, we can translate the Hebrew word to say Jesus, uh, 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 which we get the word Jesus. Come on now. My deliverer comes from the Lord alone. And he's essentially saying, he will not let me go. And then the text concludes with these powerful words of a faithful God. The process was over. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And I love how chapter 3 opens. And it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The new, improved, the better, the more mature. Jonah, God never abandons you in the process. It may feel like it's dark. It may feel like it's hopeless. It may feel like it's full of despair. It may be one of those storms that, you, that come out of the brokenness of life, sickness and disease. You had nothing to do with it, and God didn't send it. And it feels like everything is slipping away, but I just want you to know God will not abandon you. His love surrounds you, and that he is faithful. This is what my friend, of, my friend Ozzie Edwards was here. He would tell you he found him to be faithful because he went from, from this point uh, to that wonderful word that's on. His faith became sight. God is always faithful. And if he says he's got you, he's got you. Trust him. Amen. And amen. Amen. Let me leave you with this. 
This is an easier question than last week. Because you want to think about what's your faith anchor that you want to be able to claim as you go through tough times, whether you're going through one now or in the future. Is it a verse? Is it an image? What is it? What's the faith anchor that I might focus on in the midst of a difficult season? Think about that. God bless you.